I need to start out with, I feel so honored that uh, Pastor Jack would ask me to sort of bring uh, a word or, or what, uh, what we were talking about, so I, I need to thank you guys for, uh, for that as well. Uh, so when uh, Pastor Jack had asked Doug and I whether, whether we could share, um, he said in a text to me, you know, check with Doug uh, when, when you go to prepare something, because it should probably fall in, in line with what he has going on. So I text Doug, and I was like, Doug, I have something that's been on my heart for almost five years. I really want to share about it. It's in Acts. And I was about that vague with uh, Doug, and he was like, okay, uh, sure, we can do that. And so Doug shared last week uh, about Acts and, and really kind of opened up uh, sort of the, this book. Um, however, I, I did give him a little hint. I'm going to be in Acts 2 today. So uh, and we'll get to reading here in a second. But the reason I did this and the reason it's really started almost five years ago was five years this last summer was uh, how long Amanda and my, uh, my wife and I have been married. And so it was on that day that uh, we said our vows, and a part of our vows, one of the things that I said to her was that not only was I going to provide for her uh, physically, uh, being a house, a home, I was going to work uh, to provide for her, um, I was going to provide spiritually. And uh, of course, we did premarital counseling, and we got into kind of what that meant, and I thought I knew what it was. I thought I knew, you know what, I need to find a church, and I need to pray for my wife. And so uh, one of those things uh, was super easy. Praying for my wife is, is really easy. She's an awesome woman. Um, she just gave me a son this summer, and uh, so I've, I've had all summer to kind of be with him, and then I go back to school and I teach. So uh, it's been awesome. However, the second part of that, finding a church, was something that I really, as a, I grew up with my dad as a pastor, and my mom was a pastor's wife, so I, I just went to their church. And so... Being conscientious of my wife going to a different church and me going to my, my parents' church, I was like, okay, I've got to set out. After we get back from our honeymoon, we're going to find a church. And I've got to find a church that's going to provide for our spiritual lives and that's going to grow us uh, and provide for our family. Because at that time, I thought I was going to be in Indiana for the foreseeable future. So I did. I found a church. Uh, they took us in. We loved them. We were a part of their fellowship, uh, a part of the family. It felt very good. Then we decided to move. We moved to the Big Island. Uh, and a part of moving that, you add on the stresses of finding a home, finding a school that I needed to teach at, finding a hospital for my wife to work at. I needed to find a church. I needed to find a church that was maybe similar to the one we were coming from, but I didn't know anybody here. And that can be very scary. And it was very scary for us. I, I can remember going, you know what? We just need people to pray for us. People that are going... Uh, to support us in finding a church. Once you know it, the first Sunday we went to a church was here. Uh, and it was here at this meeting place. I learned later that you guys had just moved from Honoka, where I live. And so I was like, awesome. Like, you guys are starting new. We get to join. That'll be great. And once you know it, it was awesome. One of the first weeks we were here, uh, we were invited to go to Lyle and Gloria's house. And uh, I, I felt so included because they chose us to be a part of of their fellowship. And I thought, man, this is exactly what I was looking for. This is what God had, had planned for us. We, we felt included in their family. Um, and then I learned something. They're Ohio State fans. And i got to tell you guys, if, if you... <laughs> and now she's a liar. And no, I'm just kidding. 
And I got to tell you, if you base if you base the church on one family's sins, it, it's not going to work out. No, no, I'm just kidding. Um, I'm a Wisconsin Badgers fan, so it, it, it's all right. They usually beat us anyway, so it's fine. Um, however, we did feel really connected. We felt like we were a part of their family, and we were a part of this church family. We felt included right away. Um, and it was that Sunday that we were over there that um, my wife got connected with faith, and um, and they became friends and were talking and shared numbers. And uh, then the second thing happened. And we, so we bought a house. I'm fixing it up right now uh, over the summers because I can do that as a teacher. And I, I needed something, but I didn't have a truck. And so Faith text Amanda and was like, hey, we got a truck. Sean will gladly give up his truck so that you can use it. And to this day, I don't know if Sean even agreed to that to begin with. However, it struck something inside me that said, these people are willing to give up financially stuff for me to be able to provide for my family. Man, there's something more to this fellowship here at Calvary Hillside. And, uh, and then the third thing happened. We were, so we, we paused meeting here. Uh, we were doing online. And then we were able to resume, thank the Lord. And one of the Sundays I was back, I was one of the greeters at the door. And I remember just standing there. My wife had just worked the night before, so she's at home sleeping. She has uh, our kid who's also sleeping. And uh, so I came up here all by myself. I was like, I got to greet. And uh, I, <clears throat> I was just sitting over here, kind of goofy, mask on, saying hi. And Sissy comes up to us, uh, comes up to me, and she goes, you know, I feel bad, but I don't know a whole lot about you. But I just, I love you. I love you, and I love your family. I guarantee I'm not alone in that either. She said that to each and every one of you. Um, <laughs> But that was something that changed inside of me what I was looking for in a church. Because see, you can be a fellowship. You could be part of something and be in a fellowship. You could be in a club and be in fellowship. But if you're a part of a church, there is an extension of love that's poured out. And I felt that then and there. Now, I also felt it with the other things, but it was just the verbal affirmation that someone loves me at this church. That's incredible. And I, and I got to thinking, you know, if I based my provision of a church for, for my family uh, on fellowship and love, and, and this new concept of love, am I missing something else? Is the church supposed to be something else? Or, or is that it? Did I, did I find the church? And so that got me wondering. Um, and, and so this has been a long journey coming to Jack then saying, hey, I want you to share. I, I, I want to share about this. So I've collected my thoughts, and uh, we're going to be in Acts. But before we go there, uh, I want to go ahead and pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for today. I thank you for just how you've provided for my life, uh, and I know you, how you've provided for the lives of the people in this church. I thank you that uh, we can meet here uh, and that there is an outpouring of your love amongst us. Lord, I pray that... Uh, these words that come from me would not be mine, but Lord, that they're your words, but they've inspired me uh, to find something. Lord, through this, may you become greater and I'm uh, less. I thank you and praise you. Amen. All right, so I, I need to preface real quick uh, that while this is a building, a church where we meet, we are all as individuals a part of God's church. Yes? And uh, as that, I... I'm a part of the church. So 
in a sense, I'm the church. So church can be boiled down, not boiled down, but can be made of individuals, but also collectively. Okay? So I want to keep that in mind as I, as I kind of go through this. So we're going to read from Acts 2, and it's going to be verse 42 through 47. Real short section, um, but I think one of the most powerful ones that has spoken to me in the book of Acts. So it goes, And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, in the breaking of bread and in prayers. Then fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Now all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they sold their possessions and goods and divided them among all, as anyone had need. So continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. So, it was this week that uh, I had the chance to go to the store. Uh, I'm returning to the classroom uh, soon. As I told you earlier, I'm a teacher. And so a part of that is I kind of get excited to go back to school. Uh, It's been a long summer. It's been awesome to be home with my son. But I get excited for this big event coming up that's going back to school. Uh, And I know I saw excited kids as well because I can remember as an elementary kid, I got my school list. I saw my teacher, what they required of me to have for the class, and I'm like, yes, I get new things, and I, they're mine. I get to put my name on them. And I remember going back the first day of school and kind of counting down. Uh, sometimes it was bittersweet. For the bitter, I couldn't stay with my friends out late, uh, riding bikes. For the sweet, I got to see friends that I didn't usually get to see the first day of school. And so... <clears throat> As I, as I saw these kids going back, I was, I was reminded of that. <clears throat> like I said, I was a teacher, and uh, in education classes, they, they taught us uh, that we had these countdown things. I, I don't know if anyone recognizes this, but it's a, a loop of rings, and uh, they're used as a countdown tool. Uh, usually, it's for a, a big event often. It's the end of school. So you'll have uh, an elementary teacher in their classroom in the back, have these hanging up, and every day... They'll ask a student, hey, would you go tear off today's day? Now, if you're a crafty teacher, you'll have a, like, a wise word, and the student will, will read it. I'm a high school teacher, and they think that's lame. So <clears throat> I don't do that, but I thought it's a good illustration. I go that, about it a little differently. I have this calendar on my desk, and it has blocks, and it has my assignments that I'm going to have that day, has the topics I'm going to go over, and every day I get to cross it off. Now, some days, more than others, I, I get to count down and go, oh, it's exciting, I'm, I'm coming up to an exam. I know it sounds weird, but teachers kind of like that because it's a day they don't have to teach. Um, so it's an exam where I get to evaluate how my students are, are, are doing. And so I'm, I'm kind of crossing that off. Or even, hey, there's a three-day weekend coming up. I can't wait to get there. Sometimes I wonder, though, if, if I stare at that too often and I go, man, I wish that were sooner. I wish that day were coming faster. And uh, so now, I, I go about it a little differently. I, I have on my phone installed a, a countdown app. It's not a timer or anything, but almost. And presently, it's counting down the days to the beginning of school. Uh, and so it has the days, uh, or the weeks, the days, the hours, the minutes, and the seconds. 
that count down to the beginning of school. And occasionally I look at that when we're planning and uh, my wife and I have what meals we're going to have. And, and overall, it's a healthy thing. But sometimes I will admit, I look at that and go, man, if it was just a little bit more time, I want to spend time with my son. And sometimes when we've had a hard night and he's up all the time, I go, can't wait for that tomorrow. Or like, I wish it was tomorrow. But I have to wonder, is that wrong? Am I, am I wrong in, in looking ahead to a big event. Um, I think as Westerners, we can become addicted to the special event or the big occasion. Case in point, uh, last year I was, had the opportunity to go to Lowe's um, and I was doing something on my house. I was walking through the aisles and all of a sudden I came upon the aisle that had Christmas trees. And it was about this time last year, mind you. And so we're about five and a half, six months from Christmas and there's already aisles of Christmas trees. And almost in a panic, I was like, what, what season is it? Looking around. And, and as it would be, there's this couple there, a younger couple. And uh, I could overhear them verbally like contemplating between a frosted, pre-lit tree or a regular green tree. And I go, and, and they were such in a panic that I, I went, oh, maybe I need to call my wife up and see if we need a Christmas tree. And, and I, I think that if we can get caught up in, in, in looking ahead, that we ignore that there was six months until Christmas, that there was no need to get a Christmas tree. They were going to be there. Um, however, I think we live our lives sometimes. I'm, I'm guilty of this. And I, I don't think I'm alone in living our lives postured for the next big event. And that big event, whether it will promise us a better life or just a different time or away from the thing I'm struggling with right now, I'm wishing for that day to come. And if we don't see a big event or a celebration in the near enough future, what do we do? We make one up. If you don't believe me, tomorrow, August 17th, is National Cat Appreciation Day. It's a day that uh, if you have a cat, you get to appreciate it. I don't know how you appreciate a cat more than feeding it. Oh, there you go. And... Even two days later, we'll celebrate National Potato Day. Now, I, I didn't know what this was. I had to look it up. But uh, their motto is, enjoy all 27 varieties of potatoes. That's it. That's what you do on that day. And I thought, how silly is it that we have a day celebrating potatoes? But there are graphics. People set these up. And good news for people who are world citizens and aware of things going around the world. Uh, just three days later, August 22nd, we'll celebrate World Plant Milk Day. Now, I don't know whether it's just for those of you who are lactose intolerant, but World Plant Milk Day seems like kind of a farcical of a holiday that we need to really celebrate. And, uh, there, you know, don't get me wrong, there's nothing wrong with celebrating the big event or the special occasion, but I think that in this celebration, we have developed an insatiable appetite for the special event or in the big occasion. Um, and, and so, if you were to ask me any day of the week, uh, or if you were to ask me this last year, any day of the week, you know what, how are you doing? I go, you know what, I just can't wait until they lift restrictions. Or I can't, I, I just can't wait until I'm done with this one thing because then my life will be so much better. Or I can't wait until my wife actually doesn't have to work nights because then I can get maybe a full night's sleep. Or I, and I'm 
just wishing for the days to go by over and over and over again. And once you know it, the same cycle pops up again. I go, all right, I'm done with this. I can celebrate. And then I take on another thing. And I go, I can't wait for that to be done. Now, I, I've learned that this is called something. It's, uh, there's, there's something associated with this. It's called living for the weekend syndrome. I don't know if you've heard this, but uh, it's, it's the idea that you are you and your coworkers or you and your friends are, are gathered on Monday after a fun weekend or, or whatever you did. And you're talking about the fun events that you had. And uh, then you're wishing good spirits or having fun on the next weekend. Or you're planning ahead for the next weekend. And if you count that, living for the weekend means you're ignoring five-sevenths of the week. More than 70% of a lifetime. And I have to wonder, if we're, if we're looking ahead, are we going to miss something? Are we missing something in the here and now Something that could be important. I don't think I'm alone in that either. I, th- I think we could be missing something. So and th- that's what struck me when I read Acts 2. Uh, this book, Acts 2, and actually the book of Acts, seems to be written to those people who enjoy the big event special occasion. I mean, why else would you read the book of Leviticus or Numbers when you could read Acts A, it's shorter, and B, it has all of these things, the beginning, the birth of the church, the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, in such a short, concise way. If you don't believe me, in the first ten chapters, we see a previously dead and resurrected Savior. We see the power of the Spirit come down in Pentecost as flaming tongues on people's heads. We see mass conversions, lots of people coming to Christ, great healings, courtroom drama, controversial arrests, raising of the dead, people dying for Christ. And you have to wonder, and I kind of ask myself, why don't I see that happening in the church? Why don't I see that happening in my church? Or my life if I go personal? It's easy to romanticize if you just open from page one of Acts about the beginning early church And I go, I have to ask myself again, all right, I'm looking for a church that's going to spiritually help my wife, my family, and me. And yet, I don't know that I can think of a church that happens every week. However, Luke knows this. And we see a glimpse of what he's writing about in this section. Um, We see a glimpse of the early lives of the Christians. Yes, these great things happened, but it wasn't all the time. And those things happen for a reason. And that reason is what I'm going to get into today. So, uh, the book of Acts is sort of a backstory. If you were here last week, uh, Doug McDowell talked to, he he introduced the book of Acts and talked about how Luke wrote it after, and it's it's positioned right after the book of Luke. Uh, And it chronicles anywhere from 30 to 40 years. uh, Almost immediately after Jesus uh, is back on earth and ascends into heaven, all the way then about 30, 40 years. So it's, it's a good chunk of church history. Now, I am not yet 30, but there has been a lot of stuff that happened in my life. And if all of these things happen in my life within 30 years of the church, I would say, yeah, doing a pretty good job as a church. Um, but Luke sees this, and he seems to be aware that what he's writing in the book of Luke, or uh, book of Acts, is sort of a highlight reel of what's going on in the church. Not sort of the, 
mundane, everyday life, it seems like if you open from page one and finish to the end of Acts, it's just one big event after the other. However, wanting to report the whole story because he was a good writer, he gives us a glimpse of what normal looked like in the church. It kind of reminds me of this show. It's a TV show. uh, It's pretty popular. It's called The Bachelor. I don't know if you've watched it, but uh, as a preface, The Bachelor is uh, supposed to portray a real-life man looking for a life partner. Uh, And so he does this by going on dates, and they portray this to be normal as a a man looking for a wife, and, uh, and yet... We don't see normal on that show. I mean, think about it. There's, if you've seen it, you can agree with me that um, they don't have normal conversations. Now, again, I'm new into marriage, sort of, but, and, and child raising, but they don't have thing, talks about budgets on their dates. They don't talk about how, they're gonna, how many children they want, where they're going to live, what jobs they're going to take. They certainly don't talk about child discipline in there or even the regular mundane things of, What do you want for dinner? Or what do you prefer? So if we're supposed to portray these people on TV and and these uh, programs as normal people, then why don't we see them doing normal things? So that's what reminded me of this this little section in Acts, was we get to see a little bit of the normal. So if you look back um, in uh, the section 42-47, Luke writes that these, um, uh, these early believers were students and not just ordinary students. If you think of students today, uh, they, they go to school, they study several different subjects. No, these people were studying Christ all the time. They were studying what He left for the Christians. Some of them with first-hand experience, others with relatives that had first-hand experience. So that they, were, uh, they were hungry, always seeking to know Jesus. And they dedicated regular time, not just on Sundays or when they would gather in the temple. It was every day, and they were yearning to learn something new about God. So I I, I then have to ask myself, and maybe you ask yourself this too, how intentional am I about showing up to this place and submitting to the teaching that God has placed in front of me? How often am I looking for opportunities for God to speak in my life every day? Or am I preoccupied by looking ahead to the next big event in which my spiritual life will grow rapidly or will celebrate my ginormous growth uh, towards uh, understanding something new? Do I miss something in the everyday here and now just because I'm looking ahead uh, to something that promises maybe to be better? And again, I don't think I'm alone in this. We say things like this. Well, During the new year, I think I'm going to get back to reading my Bible every day. Or I'm going to make it a goal this year to read the Bible uh, in a year. Or during Lent, you know, I'm going to give up uh, a certain food, and during that food time, I'm going to try to pray to God when I'm angry that He made me take away this food. And we do these things, and it seems crazy, but those are big events throughout the year. What happens to the time after Lent? What happens when we fail after the first two weeks in January? I say that because I have done that. These early Christians were devoted all the time, not just on Sundays. 
we also see that later on that they lived in a community. Uh, they lived in a community not in a sense that they secluded themselves away, but they lived in such a way that they were always in connection. Uh, Francis Chan is a pastor at a church in southwest uh, California, and he recently wrote a book called Letters to the Church, and in it he has a, a chapter uh, that he talks about the gang life. And no, it's not about how he recovered from gang life. It's, it's about being in a gang. And if you're in a gang, not that he spoke from firsthand experience, but if you're in a gang, you don't casually talk about gang life and then quit it and then come back the next Sunday. No, there's not a gang member that comes up and goes, hey, I was gang this Sunday. Is it good? Do they talk about good stuff? Do we decide what we're going to do for our picnic next weekend? They don't talk like that. No. So why do we as a church? If we're supposed to be in community all the time, why do we limit it to just on Sundays? See, these early believers lived in community with one another. They worshipped all together, kids and adults. They did things like child raising, hard conversations about disciplining children. What are you going to do with finances? They met the needs of people who were hurting. They shared food. They paid debts as a community. But most importantly, and I think this is the hardest for Americans, is they were vulnerable with each other. They were truly, truly vulnerable. Exactly like Sissy was with me. She goes, you know, I feel bad. You've been going to this church for two years, and I don't know that much about you. But I love you, and I pray for you. That's vulnerable. And I I begin to wonder, where where is accountability? Where is the the vulnerableness that we can share? Or or do we put blocks in front and kind of come out of that shell on Sunday? And then during the week, we're our own person. This, uh, there's a term for this, uh, this type of community living with each other. It's called koinonia. It's a Greek term. <clears throat> and it's a special type of community based in reciprocity. Sort of a, a give and take. It's very similar to what Jack has talked about before in the Trinity. Uh, that the Father and the Son, both giving and receiving. There are duties in between them. Um, but it's this fellowship all in one. Their goal is the same, much like the church should be. And uh, this was happening, this koinonia was happening in the the believers every day. They were fellowshipping every day, not just on Sundays, but on Tuesdays. And, And when they went to the temple, and when they went to go do wash, and when they went to their jobs, it was part of their everyday community. Um, when, I, when I was growing up, my, my mom, like I said, was a, a pastor's wife, and so she made it her goal to invite people over to our house, um, or my dad was a senior pastor. And so every Sunday, it was every Saturday, um, would be this time where we would clean the house, and she would prepare a meal so that she could just pop it in the oven when she got home from church, and uh, she would plan what games we were going to play, and sort of what things to bring up to steer conversation. And I remember doing that, and, and I go, you know, those were for the big events. That's not wrong. You, you can do those things. But I have to ask myself when thinking about this, how often do I feel that one of you can come over to my house and I have something to offer that's other than cold coffee or the tap water? Like, how often do I feel like I can come to one of your houses or to your place of work and unwind after I've had a tough day of teaching 
or a lesson didn't go well, I can show up on a coworker's uh, desk and, and just kind of unwind. So, I, this prayer and praise, uh, I'm sorry, that Luke wasn't describing their life of special occasions. He was describing their every day. Um, and so they, they were prepared to drop what they were doing and take on that burden of one another. If you came to me, I could leave what I'm doing or I could do it while I'm helping you. What does this look like for us, though? While Luke was describing something in a different time, what, what does it look like for me? This is what it looks like. It looks like you pulling up a chair for someone when you're getting coffee and just asking how they're doing. It's you volunteering your husband's truck when you see somebody in need. It's you taking the neighbor's kids when they need a night free to work on their marriage. This is you willing to go the extra mile to help somebody out when there's absolutely no expectation for payback. This is you being vulnerable and allowing someone to be an accountability partner for you if you're struggling with something. Because this is what they were doing every day. This is their community, and it never quit. And while that seems maybe exhausting, the power of Christ is what was allowing this to happen. And I think if we get away from that, it can seem exhausting if we do it on our own power. But these people were nourished in the everyday prayer and praise of Jesus Christ. Luke goes on to say that these believers worship together in their homes in the temple. Here, grab a drink. Uh, Prayer and praise was a fellowship activity. It was was sort of an ordinary thing. It wasn't just something, excuse me, on Sundays. It says they went house to house. They ate food with gladness and simplicity of heart. Now, it's easy to come in here and have a routine of coming and, and sort of just showing up. And, and sometimes I have to remind myself, am I guilty of this showing up, not having an attitude of I'm here, so I need to be expecting of what God is, is going to do to me. Maybe God has a message for me. Newsflash, God always has a message for us. He's talking to us a lot. Um, how is my attitude? Am I ready to receive that? Or do I leave this place going, ah, I wasn't really filled up, so let's see next Sunday if it'll happen. There is no doubt in my mind that there is a discipline and obedience that we're called to in this place in corporate worship. I believe that with all my heart. I believe that when you come up in this place, there is an attitude and a posture you need to take uh, to prepare your heart for what God is speaking to you. And... uh, What's significant about this is while they were doing all this, while they were sharing all that they had, going from house to house, living in this Koinonia community, they, it's significant that they didn't forget that their job, that Christ left for them, was to make disciples. Because that's what God tells us to do, is to make disciples. Now, let's see. It, it sort of then leads me to another big question is, what aspects of worship that take place in here, what aspects of worship, prayer, praise, lament, uh, confession, even accountability, what, what ones of those do we limit to this place here in church? 
in Waimea? Can we be more intentional about employing in our homes or workplaces or offices or beaches or parks? Can we be more intentional about putting some of those worship practices into our everyday life? What would that look like? Well, it looked like praying. before. It looks more like praying before a meal, whether you're out in the community or in your home. This looks like uh, a, a whole number of things, but you have to ask yourself, do I limit God's work to here? Because i got to tell you something. You cannot limit God's work, but you can limit your attitude to how it affects you to this place. And if we do that, I think it's detrimental. Can we make it a part of our ordinary daily lives? While they were working together, they didn't lose sight of Christ's charge, which was to make disciples. They weren't waiting around for God to do one more big thing to drive people into the church. He was doing those things. And he, they didn't ask Peter, hey, go fetch us another 3,000 so that we can get more people in our community. No, it was in the daily way they lived their life. It was how they carried themselves every day. Luke uh, didn't say that the believers made a big event uh, that was geared toward bringing Christians in, although they may have done that, um, but it, it was just in the everyday way they lived their life. Uh, a while ago, I went to, uh, I was in college, and while I was in college, I played a sport called Ultimate Frisbee. And uh, this was, for, for a sense, I went to a private Christian Division three college, a smaller college. Um, we were absolutely Christian, and a part of it, this intercollegiate team was a legitimate team. It wasn't like a hippie hangout. Uh, so we actually had sanctioned events versus other colleges, and we traveled uh, across the country and it had a great time. It was during one of these tournaments that we had, a three-day tournament uh, down in Tennessee, <clears throat> that we had a photographer follow us around. And so these events are, uh, for lack of a better term, a secular event. And it's good to be reminded sometimes that if you, if you hang out in a bubble like a Christian college, it's good to re- be reminded that not everybody operates in the ways of Christ. Uh, so while we were there, this photographer was following us around uh, and documenting sort of how the games were going so that he could put highlights up on the college's website. And uh, so for three days, this photographer followed us around, and it came to the end of the third day. And uh, he pulls some of the captains aside, and, and just, in, just in private, he goes, you know, I don't know what it is about your team, but you're different. You're not crude in the way you talk. You don't swear at other teams. You lift each other up when you do something wrong. You, you're just encouraging. And I don't know what it is, but it's a breath of fresh air. And we didn't organize a rally, even though we were like a Christian college. We didn't organize a big worship event. Uh, we may have prayed once or twice for safety before a game, but it wasn't in the, any one thing that we did. So uh, we, we left that place. A couple of the captains stayed behind and, and kind of just got to know this man's story. Um, it's not one of those things where he took a knee and accepted Christ. I, that may have happened. I don't know. But it, we got back to our hotel where we were staying, and, and uh, it, we, we had devotions for the first, team, first time as a team. And it, there was a question that, that came together from this, and it, the question goes like this. How are the daily, ordinary routines of my life empowering the Spirit to witness to the Lordship of Christ? Because see, it wasn't in any one thing that we did that this, do, this individual uh, recognized. Um, and it wasn't even 
that we pursued a discipleship program with it, with him. But what we did see were the seeds of a witness planted in that individual. We won't know the, if they come to fruition or not, but it was how we were living our lives that planted a seed. So, it's these passages. And, and so, coming to that, that big question, it's, it's these passages that I can so easily skip over because I want to get to the next big thing that God has for me. I want to read and get filled up with the next big message that He has. That's so easily I skip these things because it seems so menial. Um, but isn't it wonderfully ordinary how God works in simple ways? In describing what an ordinary day looked like for these Christians, I can get so filled up. Now, it did say in there, don't get me wrong, uh, it does say that uh, God still did do amazing and spectacular things. In fact, um, verse 43, then fear came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. So yes, God did do big, big things. Uh, however, let's look at the order of that. It says the believers' hearts were filled with awe. That's a fear. And so awe is sort of this holy fear and like reverence. So it was the way they positioned their lives was this holy fear coming from Pentecost, staying amongst them, and then God did amazing and wonderful things. It wasn't that they were sustained in the big and the wonderful big events. It was the everyday way they lived. Now, there's nothing wrong with expecting God to do big things. That's what faith is. That's what we're told. Um, Faith is, uh, let's see, evidence of things hoped for but not seen. So there's not wrong to hope for the big things. But if we, we get into trouble if we miss the divine of the here and now. Because we're, st- we're stuck looking ahead and we forget what's right in front of us. The problem with a faith based on miracles, writes Anthony Robinson, a, a Christian author, is that it always requires one more miracle. See, if you base your faith on miracles and big events, it takes another one to sustain that faith. But if you base your faith and how you are raised and your church on that everyday following of Christ's message, that is what sustains you. Sometimes I'm wondering if I'm missing the impressive yet subtle sign and wonders of God because I'm waiting for a large spectacle from Him. If we're, uh, if we're caught looking at the, the burning bush or longing for the burning bush or the, the pool of Bethesda or the Damascus Road, where we're going to we're sure God's going to show up. If we are concentrated on that, we may miss the everyday breath, the everyday conversation, the everyday stillness that God's put right in front of us. So, the question I want to leave with you um, is this. How are the daily ordinary routines of your life empowering the Spirit to witness to the Lordship of Christ to those around you? Go ahead and pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for today. I thank you so much uh, for every opportunity you've placed in front of me. Thank you for your word. Thank you for these small passages that Luke so skillfully writes.